836. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. One quick program note. Uh, follow the Brewers today. Your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to see um, the, the Brewers at Miller Park. And then uh, be registered for our weekly grand prize drawing, which is coming up uh, later on this morning. Um, your chance to go follow the Brewers to Minneapolis and watch the Brewers-Twins game on August 7th. We will do one one giveaway right after the 9 o'clock news. So approximately 9.10, might be 9.08, might be 9.09, might be 9.11, approximately 9.10. In addition, since we, we didn't have a, pro, uh, a live program yesterday, since we did a rebroadcast of Insight, more on that later, um, I have a, we're going to have two qualifiers today. We're going to do the second Follow the Brewers opportunity at 10, approximately 10.10, after the 10 o'clock news, and then later on this morning we will draw our one grand prize winner for the week. So two chances to win tickets to, um, again, a game. It would be the Brewers playing the Braves this month. And then to follow the Brewers. So right after the 9 o'clock news, right after the 10 o'clock news, um, be listening. All right. I, I was telling this story to Gene, and I, I've told this on the radio before. I say a few weeks ago, I'm driving out Silver Spring. It's Saturday night. I'm taking my dog out to stay with my uh, – I had some stuff to do, so so the dog didn't have to be alone. I'm taking her out to uh, stay with my brother and sister-in-law in Pewaukee. I swear, it is 7 o'clock at night. You take your life into your own hands. I'm driving across Silver Spring. There are cars driving 80 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, driving in the right lanes, the bicycle lanes, tinted windows. There was one car. I saw one guy who stopped at a red light, looked both ways, blew through the red light, damn near hit cars. This was on 92nd and Silver Spring. Damn near hit cars that were in the intersection. And there's a pedestrian in the intersection as well. And this is, unfortunately, it is a regular occurrence on the streets in Milwaukee. And this is not a knock on the police, but you never see a cop. And you see all this type of of behavior that's there. Well, in Milwaukee, so far this year, um, you have eight people so far this year, and we're talking about, what is it, April 20th, April 21st, whatever it is today, you, you have eight people who have been killed thus far, killed, by hit-and-run drivers. And these are the people that are blowing through the red lights at high rates of speed and are taking off. Those are the people that have been killed. That's not necessarily other people that might have been hit or might have survived. It's people driving irresponsibly. That doesn't include the various traffic accidents that have occurred. It doesn't occur include all the other problems. And, And here's the dazzling detail about this entire story. The Milwaukee Police Department has a policy, and the policy emanates from Tom Barrett and from Ed Flynn. The policy is, we will not chase people who flee unless we have probable cause to believe that they have committed a violent felony. All right, so if... if you know, we're looking at a car. Gee, this is a car that was stolen in a carjacking. We will chase. All right. But otherwise, if there's a car that blows through a red light, for example, and you see it and the car takes off, the cops will not pursue. If there's a car driving 70 and 80 miles an hour with tinted windows, recklessly weaving in and out of traffic, potentially causing all sorts of harms, the police put on the bubble lights, they will not chase if the car takes off. That is Ed Flynn's policy. Here is the detail, the dazzling detail. The first quarter of 2017, first three months, uh, the Milwaukee Police Department, and they, they keep track. They keep track of the number of times they pursue and don't. All right, in the with 
all the stuff going on in the city of Milwaukee, all the different traffic uh, craziness, the department total recorded 27 pursuits. They only chased 27 times. That is a 62% decline from the first quarter of last year. But that's not the most dazzling detail. The most dazzling detail is they also record non-pursuits, the times where people just drive off and they are not followed, the times where you run the red light, you're driving 80 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic, and you take off when the police try to pull you over. All right, hope you're sitting down. 1,675 non-pursuits. 1,675 non-pursuits. These are, again, the people who just take off on the cops and, and flee and are not chased. That is a 94% increase from the same time last year. 13 Milwaukee aldermen have signed a letter saying enough is enough. You need to change the pursuit policy. You need to start catching these people who understand that they can do all this stuff, take off, and they are not going to be chased. And so aldermen are calling on the police to, number one, change the pursuit policy to go after that person that's driving 90 miles an hour and blows through the red light. Go after them and try to get them off the streets. And number two, to commit more resources to traffic enforcement so it is not the Wild West out there. I mean, seriously, eight people dead in hit-and-run accidents in just over three months? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Anybody who has ever driven on the streets in Milwaukee knows exactly what these aldermen are talking about and knows what I am talking about. I think it is way past time for Chief Flynn to get his head out of wherever it is and recognize that what we are doing now is not working. Now, I understand that there's sometimes that you just you can't chase safely. I'm not saying you drive 95 miles an hour down Wisconsin Avenue at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But at the same time, the bad guys know that they can get away. And I'm not just talking about the people who might have been selling dope or whatever. I'm talking about the people that are driving recklessly on the roads. They will continue to do this, and we got to get them off the street. And it's time for Flynn to change the darn policy. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 842, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 846, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, here's on our text line. I drive for Uber, often late nights on Water Street, 3rd Street, etc. While the police have a heavy presence in the area, presumably for crowd control, cars are frequently racing down the streets with impunity. The police just watch as this goes on. And I think part of that is due to the fact that they know the people aren't going to stop. They know they're not allowed to chase them. You wonder why you have all the carnage going on. You wonder why you have all these hit and runs. Well, it's because... If you have, in the first three months of the year, 1,675 people who have fled and the cops have let them flee, it tells you, Ed Flynn, you got to change your policy. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're in 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Jeff. Uh, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I've been witnessing uh, this people running red lights and stop signs. I don't mean for the cops to pull over people with a burnt-out taillight or yeah. whatever. But, I mean... Uh, this is like crazy. It's like the broken windows of houses, uh, the broken windows of the traffic. I, I think that... Uh, well, this isn't broken windows. Traffic. This is more like collapsed roof. <laughs> you know, I mean, well, it was 80 miles an hour drought. Right, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm just saying that they need to crack down on people running red lights and stop signs and excessive speeding. It's just uh, right. not a hand, and no one's doing nothing about it. Well, right, and 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 this is, I mean, and this demonstrates why the the people who are doing this know that even if they do it in front of the police, the police are going to let them go unless there is evidence that they've committed, you know, some violent felony. So as a result. You have these people who are just driving around, and they know nothing's going to happen to them. Because the truth is, nothing happens to them. And I understand there's things, well, you can try to get the license plate. Well, my guess is half the time the cars are stolen or they're not registered or whatever it is. You cannot let people do this and just drive away. And I believe that is one of, this pursuit policy is one of the direct factors as to why you have so many people who are being hit and killed in hit-and-run accidents at intersections all over Milwaukee. It's way past time for this policy to change. Tom, downtown. Tom, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Hey, you know, yeah, something's got to be done. I mean, you let this stuff go on. I, I work in the city, and uh, I work a lot on the north side, and, you know, You'll be driving in the morning, and, and my God, you know, you see all these traffic poles that are knocked down, yeah. concrete light poles that are yeah. knocked down. And one morning, I'm going down 35th Street, getting near Burleigh, and here's a car, took out a, a concrete pole. It, it pretty much went the length of the block, but it, I swear to God, it left its front suspension like 15, 20 feet behind the car. <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, going, yeah, 51st Street, nice, nice morning, sunny out. Right. At a stop sign, cars rolled over on its top. You know, uh, and, and how about this? Let's say I'm, I'm driving and a block away, uh, a cop tries to stop a guy who's speeding but says, oh, we're not going to pursue him. And then he comes and he hits me in the next intersection. Yep. yep. They let this guy go, menace to society. Yep. Hey, do I, can I sue the cops for letting this guy run the streets? Well, now, the, now I'm injured or what? Right. The, the answer is no, Tom, but that, that see, that... That's why I believe that there, there's a link, there are links between these things. The, the number of hit-and-run fatalities is staggering to me. I mean, these, and again, these aren't just regular traffic accidents. These are the hit-and-run type of things. I think it is a direct product of lax traffic enforcement. And I think, mark the tape here, Elvis, who's producing the show for me this morning, you know, mark the tape. I think, number one, look, and I understand that the police have all sorts of things going on. I, I get that. But traffic enforcement, for, for not for pulling people over for the burned-out taillights, but traffic enforcement for the people who are driving irresponsibly needs to be a priority. But the only way it can be a priority is if you change the stupid no-chase policy, because I get why it's so frustrated with the cops. The police are there, okay, this car just blew through a red light at 80 miles an hour. I can put on the bubble lights, but I'm going to have to let them go anyway, so why even bother? That is the idiocy of the Ed Flynn policy. I get it. I get it. Tom Barrett was concerned. We want to make the streets safer. Well, the policy isn't working. You are not making the streets safer. You are making them more dangerous. Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. You are dead dead right on this. Um, This policy has to change. In my opinion, I think it it almost encourages people to commit crime because you know what, why, the main reason people don't commit crimes is they're afraid of getting caught in the penalty. Right. When you remove that, it's like, okay, I, if I commit this crime, all I have to do is drive a little bit fast or erratic, and they're going to stop following me, and then I at least have a chance to get away. Sure, and they do get away. And, 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 and especially if you're driving, like we say, if you're driving a stolen car or something like that, all right, well, you know, you're never going to be caught. I mean, the only way you're going to be caught is 
when you driving 90 miles an hour, like our previous caller was saying, you you, you know you smash into the the concrete pole, and then half the time the people get away and run away anyhow. I mean, you, we got to get these people off the street. I agree, 100. percent Yeah, no, thank, and it, and it's and it's way past time because this is a major public safety issue, and, I, and I'm glad that at least at least. A majority now of the aldermen are starting to wake up and recognize this. And, you know, this this no-pursuit policy was one of these kumbaya, touchy-feely things Ed Flynn and Tom Barrett dreamed up. And I understand the intention of it. You know, it came after a result of some police chases where a couple innocent civilians got, got hit and killed. That is an unfortunate thing. But, all right, how many people on the flip side are going to have to be hit and killed or injured or have their lives taken into their own hands because of this irresponsible driving before we recognize that this policy, however well intended it was, isn't working. Will Tom Barrett listen? Who knows? He's worried about his trolley. Will Ed Flynn listen? Who knows? He's worried about currying favor with Tom Barrett. But it's time for people to change. Otherwise, Again, Milwaukee roads are going to continue to be what they have become now, the Wild West. It's uh, 853, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 855, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. After a Bucks blowout in Game 3, does your thought process shift from if to when? They move on to the second round. Greg Matzik says that's an easy question with a not-so-simple answer. He'll explain tonight on Sports Central at 6.07. I do want to say a special thank you to everybody who came out to our Insight Show um, on Wednesday night. We had a huge crowd at the Country Springs Hotel, and everybody stayed from the beginning to the end. I want to say a very special thank you to all our panelists. We had uh, Governor Walker and sort of a surprise guest. We did a segment with uh, Tanette Walker, um, kind of gave an interesting perspective, I think, on the governor. Um, four justices from the state Supreme Court. We had book three, but four showed up. How about that? Don Smiley and Bob Babish stole the show. Um, Wayne Larravee and Larry McCarran, um, great as always. Joe Bartolotta talking about restaurants and trends. And uh, Brad Schimmel talking about uh, the opioid problem. So thanks to all the guests and thanks to everybody for coming out. I, I was mentioning this, this earlier. In this... We not everything that occurred went out on 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 the air. We did a couple things during the breaks and all. And uh, at one point in time, early on in the show, I was introducing you know all the different people um, that were there. And I have to say this honestly, with the exception of the governor, who got a standing ovation, the largest crowd response, the largest crowd response, was for. My regular producer, Hondo. The crowd went wild. I mean, I, I introduced him, and Hondo, I, I'm, all of a sudden, there's this, like, roar from everybody there. And I, I told him, you know, you, you've become a cult You've become a cult figure. I mean, ne- next year, I, I will have to move to a bigger facility if we build it like the Jeff and Hondo show inside 2018 or whatever. But, I mean, it was, um, so it was a lot of fun. So thank you for everybody coming out. Big story number two, the dangers of of operating in the banana republic venezuela is an absolute and total mess venezuela is a complete mess the government is on the verge of collapse um there's talk about uh, perhaps a a coup uh, against the the president of the the country um the, uh, venezuelans are demanding fresh presidential elections they're re- demanding the release of jailed opposition politicians the economy is in a shambles so what did venezuela do in the last 2 days they seized the general motors factory they took over the they've essentially nationalized this this is not the first time that venezuela 
has gone after American companies like this. They, they did it with Clorox before. They did it with glassmaker Owens, uh, Illinois in 2010. They've nationalized a rice mill operated by Cargill. Uh, you know, General Motors, of course, their their plant is now gone. It's been taken over. It's been nationalized. They're upset, and they're looking perhaps for the Trump administration to do something. But the problem is when you're dealing with a a government that appears to be not much more than a banana republic, there's very, very little that you can do. Venezuela becoming another hotspot, not to the extent, of course, obviously, of North Korea or of Syria, but the economic, the crumbling economic conditions in the country. i got to tell you something. If I was a, a U.S. company, continuing to do business in Venezuela, and I saw what they did with the General Motors plant, I think, well, I think I would be gathering my resources and pulling out, just saying. Follow the Brewers is coming up, and then big thing number three, the war on free speech. Stick around. 859, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Baseball is back, and Jeff Wagner is giving you a chance to be in the stands at an upcoming road game. Grab that phone now to win a four-pack of tickets and qualify for a grand prize getaway to see the Brewers take on a division rival. It's Jeff Wagner's Follow the Brewers, sponsored by West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles and Company, and the home of the Brewers, 620 WTMJ. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller 20 wins a four-pack of tickets to see a home game for the Brewers versus the Braves series this month. The winner also qualifies for a chance to follow the Brewers to Minneapolis for the Brewers-Twins game on August 7th. Sometime later this morning, we will be drawing the weekly grand prize winner, and we'll be giving that person, he or she, a call. Follow the Brewers, sponsored by West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles and Company, and the home of the Brewers, 620 WTMJ. And as a special gift, we're going to qualify somebody right now, and then right after the 10 o'clock news, because we, we didn't do this yesterday, we were playing the re- rebroadcast of Insight, um, we're going to qualify another winner. So you've got two chances to follow the Brewers today, but this is your first chance. Elvis is lining up the call. So, Jane, th- this is this is my favorite story of the day, just in a in the category of life can be as messy as a day-old sticky bun. <laughs> sticky sure. bun. You know how that goes. Okay, so here's the deal. Uh, I saw the headline. It's up on our website. Married man fakes hijacking threat to avoid trip with girlfriend. And apparently, here, here's the story. Well, they played right in. Is that love can be tricky, especially when you're a married man with a child and you've got an online girlfriend who wants to go on vacation. <laughs> you're just shaking your head. Not going to go well. <laughs> exactly. You just got to run that down. You know that. The, so apparently, what happens is the the guy he's a travel agent, and this is in India. He's a travel agent who's got a wife and a kid. He's also got an online girlfriend. Okay. And the online girlfriend wants to ratchet up the, the relationship. So she's like, okay, let's... Let's meet. Let's meet. Let's yeah. go on vacation, etc. And, you know, you're telling me you've got all this money and stuff here. So um, they make plans that they're going to, like, fly to some city. And, of course, she doesn't know that there's a wife and there's a girl. Okay, well, so the guy, apparently he's been misrepresenting how much money he has. And plus you've That's also... shocking, Joe. <laughs> you're, you're just stunned. And, and he's got the wife. And, and the child, too, which kind of maybe makes getting away for the weekend tryst a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. So now he's in this, this, but he doesn't want to tell that to the online girlfriend because he's not ready to end the relationship. So he does what anybody would do in, in the, the situation. He, he generates a fake, air, he's a travel agent, he generates a fake airline ticket 
Okay. That he then sends to her. Okay. Okay. But it's a fake airline ticket. He doesn't want her to find out that it is a fake airline ticket. So what he then does is he emails a bomb threat to the airline saying that the, he's going to, the plane is going to blow up and be hijacked. Wow. <laughs> so, so they cancel the flight. <laughs> And she doesn't find out that the ticket is fake. Right. She doesn't find out that the ticket is fake. It just kind of delays that she won't know any any better. You know, she'll never figure this out. It's just that, hey, honey, circumstances prevented us from getting together. Who thinks of these things? <clears throat> so, so ultimately, the, and then when he sends the threat... He pretends, it gets even weirder, he pretends to be like this woman. I am a woman, you know, and he, he sends this email to the place threatening this. And, of course, you know, the flight does get canceled. You know, the flight does get canceled. So she doesn't find out immediately that it's a fake ticket. So everything is going according to plan, except those pesky authorities, you know. Well, when you, when you, when you threaten an airline like that. They... <laughs> right. So they start investigating, and then they ultimately track down this guy who then erps up the entire scheme. Um, but I don't know. It seems to me, well, I guess the, the idea, maybe if you're married with a child, you shouldn't be engaging in the online relationship to begin with. But this thing, like a lot of trouble to avoid <laughs> to avoid this. Some people should just be single, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we, have our winner, we have our winner in our Follow the Brewers contest, right? Who, who is it? Kathy in Whitefish Bay. Okay, Kathy in Whitefish Bay is our first qualifier today. She is automatically entered later on this morning. We'll be doing a random drawing of our of our various daily winners. Somebody is going to win the chance to follow the Brewers to Minneapolis. And like I say, I've got one more chance for you to do that uh, today. Um, we're going to do it right after the 10 o'clock news. So keep listening. One more chance to do it. And, again, special thanks. I really appreciate our, our sponsors, West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles & Company, and, of course, um, 620 WTMJ for letting me do this. All right, big story number three. Ann Coulter who is kind of this out-there, conservative host, speech, writer, author, etc. I I will say this with all due respect to to Ann Coulter. I think she's out there, and I I think some of the... Just like there are lots of people on the left who are, I, I would argue, nutty, I think there are times that Ann Coulter, on the right, kind of evolves into nutty. But But nevertheless... Nutty or not, she is extremely entertaining, and she is is very, very controversial. But there's people that are controversial on the left as well. Ann Coulter, the University of California, Berkeley. This is, you know, this is San Francisco. This is where the the so-called free speech movement started in the 60s. Campus protests. This is even before the Vietnam War, demanding that you know college students be given the right to speak out and bring whoever they wanted onto campuses. I mean, Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley is arguably the most liberal institution in the country, the home of the free speech movement. The college Republicans book Ann Coulter to give a speech um, April twenty seventh. She was. They hire her. I mean, she she they book her. They sign a contract with her. She's got a contract. She's supposed to speak on April 27th. I mean, Ann Coulter is not a criminal. Although if she was she was a criminal, you know, she would probably have no problem speaking at the University of California Berkeley because she would be embraced by some of the student body. But she is sort of an out there conservative who pushes the envelope. So she gets booked 
to go and give a speech on April 27th. The University of California, Berkeley, says no. We are not going to allow her to come onto campus and give a speech. And they say because when we have had other conservative speakers who have have been scheduled to come out and speak, what has happened is there have been protesters who have been outraged that we would have, for example, somebody from Breitbart, and the protesters have engaged in violent clash. They've, they've come out, they've been violent, and as a result, you know, there's had to be arrests or whatever. They have caused disruptions. So we find, we think Ann Coulter, if, if she comes onto campus, we think it is going to lead to, we think she might be in danger. We think that there are going to be, you know, protests that are going to be there. They might lead to violence. So our answer is to say, no, Ann Coulter can't speak. Well, okay, the college Republicans and Ann Coulter both say, that, that's, what do you mean? I mean, this is the heart of the free speech movement. You are going to let the protesters shut this down. Well, this becomes a story. So what Berkeley says is, well, I'll tell you what. You know, we, we'll, we'll rethink this. Um, we will let Ann Coulter come onto campus to speak, but she can't do it on April 27th, the, the previously scheduled thing. Instead, we'll schedule it for May 2nd. And she can't give a speech in the evening, because if you do it in the evening, it makes it easier for protesters to come out. So she, she can give a speech, but it has to be in the middle of the afternoon, a week after she's already booked to do it. And it has to be in the middle of the afternoon, and she has to be done by 3 o'clock or 3.30 at the latest. She has to be finished by 3 o'clock or 3.30 at the latest, because if you let it run too much longer, um, we also think that there's going to be more protests. So we're going to try to do it in the middle of the day when maybe it makes it less likely that protesters are going to come out and disrupt this. And it can't be in the evening, because God knows if if it's in the evening, you know, we're going to have campus riots. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage uh, Talk and Text Line. Ann Coulter, for her part, is saying, nuts to that. I've got a contract that says April 27th. I, I, that's the date I have reserved. I am going to be there on April 27th. I think it is nothing short of appalling that you have a college administration in this country that because it is a conservative speaker is saying either you can't come or if you do come, we are going to put all sorts of limitations on you. If this was an Angela Davis, if this was a radical, if this was a Bernadette Dorn, if this was somebody who was involved in killing police officers or blowing up buildings in the 60s, if this was some activist who'd been in and out of jail, you know they would be embraced on the campus. But because it is a conservative speaker, they are saying no. I think it is appalling. I think it is absolutely outrageous. And I think it's time for, look, I care less about Ann Coulter. All right, like I say, I think she's kind of out there when it comes to some of her positions. But I think she sure as heck has a right to speak. Just like I think Ted Nugent has a right to perform at the, the county fair up in Wausau, Ann Coulter, if she's invited, has a right to speak. People have a right to decide whether they're going to go or not. But the fact that people are threatening protests, whether it's against Ted Nugent or against Ann Coulter, University of California, Berkeley, is shameful in backing down, for in, in not allowing her to speak or trying to change the conditions. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is le- more than time 
for conservatives to start standing up and saying, you know, we have free speech rights as well, and we are not going to allow pinheaded bureaucrats in the under the guise of, gee, you're going to be too controversial to stop people from speaking. All right. Should Ann Coulter be allowed to speak as scheduled in the evening, or should we be giving in to protests because, gee, we can't necessarily guarantee her safety? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss next. Obviously, I think it is appalling, appalling, that on a college campus in the United States of America, you would try to censor conservative speech. We discuss. It's 920, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Nine twenty-three. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The Brewers' homestand continues with Game Two against the St. Louis Cardinals. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering begin our coverage from Miller Park. That is six thirty-five this evening. What a good game yesterday! Sponsored by your Milwaukee Honda dealers. I'm telling you, this. I said this on opening day. This Brewers team, I, I think, I think it's for real. Now that doesn't mean that they're going to, you know, be in the World Series this year, but they're playing good baseball. And, you know, you have, you know, who knows whether the home run barrage is going to continue, but they're playing good, solid baseball. They're getting good pitching, and um, I think they're going to be incredibly competitive this year. Matter of fact, that ties in with something we're going to be talking about in less than 10 minutes. Um, There's some people out there that are still critical of Miller Park and think the community would be better if we didn't have the taxpayer commitment to build Miller Park. And we're going to discuss that in about 10 minutes. But I'm just telling you, you look at the excitement. This is a Brewers team, like I say. I don't think they're not, I'm not predicting they're going to the World Series, but they're, they're competitive, and they're competitive ahead of time, and that's great. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is nothing short of appalling that you have university campuses who are looking at conservative commentators like an Ann Coulter, who I admit is kind of out there, and saying, you cannot come onto our campuses and speak um, because we are afraid that the protests will be so intense that there will be problems. I, I think that is absolutely appalling. You know, if, if you've got crazies who are descending onto college campuses and they are engaging in acts of violence or they're protesting, the way you deal with the protesters, the way you deal with the crazies, is you bring in a bunch of cops and you start arresting them. You do not allow the inmates to run the asylum, pure and simple. Um, On our text line, Lisa and Wynne Lake writes, Oh, how the worm has turned in the last 50 years. Um, Yeah, that's, that's pretty much you know, clear that, you know, before it was, okay, we have to have free speech, you know, we want to be able to have protest, we want to be able to argue against, oh, I don't know, you know, the the Vietnam War, you know, we want to speak out against what we think are faculty abuses or things like that, we want to be able to do that, but now that you have somebody who challenges the orthodoxy from the other line, it's just... Well, I mean, how, what is that going to do with our safe spaces? How can we have this happen? People are going to feel um, traumatized. Um, heck yes, this is our text line. Heck yes, let her speak. Berkeley is Ho Chi Minh West. Um, they will start trouble. And I have no doubt that they're, they're, that might be the case. 
But the answer to that is not to not let Ann Coulter speak or to put such restrictions on Ann Coulter that it becomes meaningless. You have to be done by 3 o'clock, and we have to do it on May 2nd, not on April 27th. We have to do it at a date that you're not scheduled, and you're probably booked to do something somewhere else. And, you, by the way, you have to be over by 3 o'clock, because if it goes till 5 o'clock, some people might get off of work, and they might come and protest, and we don't want to have the protesters. Well, all right, the simple answer is, if people get out of hand with the protests, arrest them, toss them in jail, Deal with the crazies. Don't give in to the crazies. Pure and simple. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, I want to talk about Miller Park and the fact that some people continue to believe it was a bad investment. Stick around. It's 927. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Nine twenty nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The next stop on the All American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin tour is today in Racine. It's at the Hobnob Restaurant. John McCure and the Wisconsin's Afternoon News crew will be there starting at three o'clock. They're broadcasting live. Go on out, enjoy a cocktail or a fish fry, or maybe both. Can't have a fish fry without a cocktail. It's the Hobnob and Racine today, starting at three. It's the All American Window and Door We Love Wisconsin tour on six twenty WTMJ. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, I want to talk with you about whether or not Miller Park has been worth it. I don't think it's even arguable, but some people appear to disagree. We will discuss. Nine thirty-four. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. It's all things local today on Scafidi and Billstadt's Friday Forum. As two of the suburbs' most prominent mayors join the show in the studio. That is at two oh seven this afternoon. All right. There's a gosh, a local journalist. His name is Bruce Murphy. He's he was at Milwaukee Magazine for a while. He was at the newspaper for a while. Right now he's at one of these websites, Urban Milwaukee. And you know he he's been around for years and years. And um, I. In my opinion, I, I think he's frequently wrong about stuff that, that he writes about, but he has the right to be wrong, and he probably say the same thing about my conclusions for things. And he's got an agenda, and he's sort of like a dog with a bone about certain issues. He's got a new piece up called The Failed Promise of Miller Park. It didn't make the Brewers more competitive, yet its price tag keeps rising. And, and Murphy's been one of these guys, like I say, a dog with a bone up on Miller Park. And the, the point of the latest piece is that essentially we, the taxpayers, by helping build Miller Park, have made Brewers owners rich. For example, Mark Atanasio, who is the head of the the ownership group, um, paid $223 million for the Brewers in 2005. Forbes now says the the team is worth $925 million. So, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good return on investment. And kind of the point of the story is part of the reason why the team is worth that much money, at least the, the assumption is, it's because they've got this great stadium that the taxpayers built, you know, Mil- Miller Park. Um, Miller Park costing the taxpayers, depending on how you figure it, probably $520 million, maybe more, depending, again, on how you include things. You know, Murphy also points out that while the sales tax that pays for Miller Park is due to Sunset, um, they have been they've been putting money aside that comes from the taxes in, in order to pay for operating costs for the next 15 or 20 years. So long story short, the conclusion is, hey, you've got the Brewers. They haven't been in the World Series. 
Um, they've got one of the lowest payrolls in baseball. The owners have watched their investment in the team appreciate a large amount. They've made a fortune. The conclusion is, at some point in time, Mark Atanasio and the ownership group will turn around and they'll sell the Brewers and they'll make a whole bunch of money, but the taxpayers won't get anything out of that. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have no doubt that the value of sports franchises, whether it's baseball or football or basketball or hockey, has gone through the roof. And I have no doubt that when the Brewers' ownership, if and when the Brewers' ownership group decides to sell to someone else, there, there will be a profit to be made, just like Bud Selig made a profit when he, he sold the Brewers. That being said, I just don't think you can argue, seriously, that Miller Park hasn't been a very, very good thing for this community. And I understand that just because the Brewers' payroll last year and this year is relatively low, one of the lowest in the major leagues, that's that's just because the team is in a rebuilding phase. And I suspect that, I mean, one of the things I've noticed about the, the team owners is I think they have been willing to spend money, you know, when, if they thought that they needed to dump a bunch of money into, you know, Get get that player that's going to get them into the playoffs, the Zach Rankies or whatever. They have been willing to do it. Right now, they're following the Chicago Cubs model of rebuilding by stockpiling, um, again, young, talented players. But But this idea that Miller Park somehow was a bad investment for the taxpayers, I think is just ridiculous. Because the truth is, imagine what Milwaukee would have been. The, if, if you still had County Stadium, there is no question in my mind that the Brewers, that we would not have a baseball team in this community. And I don't care whether you're a baseball fan or not. I think Miller Park, the fact that we have Major League Baseball here is outstanding. The fact that you've got Miller Park, which is now a, a destination, they're starting to do more concerts and things like that. And again, that the Brewers generate revenue from that. So, I mean, it, it's not a philanthropic operation. But still, from the perspective of the community, would you rather have County Stadium, which would be falling down, it would probably be sitting there, it wouldn't be used for much of anything, or would you have Miller Park? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think was Miller Park a good deal for the Brewers? Yes, it was. But was Miller Park a good deal for the community? I think it was as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. You know, uh, uh, Old County Stadium was was what it was. It was old. Yeah. And and and, and so it had to be replaced at some point. And so you know, yes, Miller Park is 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 a good uh, thing for Milwaukee, and it's a good thing for the counties. And 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 so I understand how people are upset of way how it was how it was done, and I know people are upset about you know the the, uh, the tax continuing to 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 flow. But the fact is that like you like you said, the Brewers would not be here if County Stadium was was still there because the fact is the amount of money we would have to put into it. Right, would oh. probably be the same as what we're putting into. Well, it. right, and the Brewers wouldn't have stayed. I mean, you you couldn't have. I mean, County Stadium 
I understand it was nostalgic, but I mean, you know, I had the opportunity, Vincent, to kind of be in the the underneath county stadium the last two or three years. Their lucky OSHA didn't come through. I mean, I, it was it was just a disaster. The truth is, we would have lost Major League Baseball. And is this community better because we have a, a brand new stadium with a retractable roof that you can have concerts and things like that, or would we have been better off with uh, again no baseball team? You know, for what I think is a a relatively small investment with the sales tax. I mean, I just think Miller Park was an incredible success. Yes, it was, but but they but they need to keep to their word and sunset that tax yes. because I think that's what sticks in the people's craw. Yes, that oh. they, they that they keep saying that they were going to sunset it and they, and they yes. never have. So. Right, like they did in Brown County, where you know they said, okay, you know, we we want to revamp Lambeau Field and this this tax is going to end. No, I I think you're exactly right that they have to do that. Now, thanks to Colvin, but I mean, really, I'm trying to imagine. What this community would have been like if we lost Major League Baseball. And I, even if you're not a baseball fan, just think of all the, the excitement that it generates. Think of the revenue that it generates from people coming in from out of town. I mean, there, there's all sorts of values to this. And, and candidly, while I understand, especially some people in Racine, still you know, have hard feelings about this and don't think they get a spin-off of it, the, the bottom line is for investment and for what it does to the community, I mean, I think Miller Park has been a, a huge, huge you know, uh, boom. Let's talk to Bill and Franklin. Bill, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. What do you think? I think it's the best thing that Milwaukee has ever done is put that stadium there. Just Watch the games, watch television, and look at the kids in this community faces from all over the state. I mean, we have so much trouble in our country and in our state going on. And when you go there, you forget about all that stuff, and kids can be kids. They're not on computers. They're enjoying themselves. They're with their mom and dad, something that we're losing. I lost baseball here when we when the team went to Atlanta. The Braves, yeah. Terrible. And I never want to see that again. And, yeah, there's a chance that this ownership is going to sell, but there's a chance a lot of things are going to happen. Well, also, and, and yes, and yes, when they sell, they will make money. The value of the franchise has gone up. But at the same time, I mean, I really do think that I think this ownership group has, has put money into the team. And, and yes, the, the payroll is low this year, but it's low because they've got all sorts of new young players. Um, you know, I, I think there's a commitment to winning baseball here. I don't think they're just, I don't think this ownership group is just saying, hey, let's take advantage of the stadium and let's make a whole bunch of money. I think they want to win. I know they want to win. No, if you listen to Mr. Antonazio in the spring, he said, look, we do have a low budget. When it's time, all yeah. right. Right. right now. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. And, and that's, and of course, and that's the way he's operated. I, I mean, I, again, you know, I, 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 I've seen that, and, and yes, sports franchises have gone up, and I understand that there is this argument to be made that, well, it's billionaires you know, who own teams, and they're played for by millionaires, and I, I think you have to look at these things on a, on a case-by-case basis, but would, would Milwaukee, would downtown Milwaukee, I was just the other day, I was down there and I was watching the infrastructure of the new Bucks Arena come up. Now, look, I have some questions about this. I, I ultimately think the success, we're going to be able to judge the success or the failure of that project, the, the downtown Bucks Arena, based on what happens in the surrounding area. Are you really going to have the shops? and Are you going to have really have the boom that, that people... You know, are predicting you're going to have, or 
Is it going to fizzle, or is it going to cannibalize things, like the restaurants and the stores that are already on 3rd Street? Are they going to shut down because it doesn't bring more people into the area? I don't know. I don't know whether there's going to be an economic spillover or not. I, I certainly hope there is. That's how you're going to judge the success. But I look at that infrastructure, and I think, okay, is downtown Milwaukee better because you've got this going up, um, or would we have been better off if we just kept the Bradley Center? Bucks would have left. There's no question that would have happened in a couple of years. Bucks would have left. All right, are we better? Yeah, I think we're better off. And I guess the same point I think can be made about the, you know, about the Brewers, that we're we're better off having baseball. We're better off having that facility. And yeah, if they're running concerts and so, okay, I don't care if they're making money if they're doing the concerts. To me, that that's great. It allows them to have more money to put back into the team. I just I understand that some people still don't like that tax, but I would have hated to see baseball go. And I think Miller Park has just been a huge, huge success. It's nine forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. It's nine forty-nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. You know, it's interesting during insights uh, on Wednesday night. We had four justices from the state Supreme Court, and when one of the justices, Michael Gableman, we were talking about election reform and the role of money in, in races, not just um, judicial races in particular. And one of the interesting things that Justice Gableman said that really kind of struck a nerve with me is that it's interesting that when, when liberal judges were winning, when, when we were getting liberals elected to the state Supreme Court, the, the left never seemed to be worried about the role of money. You know, when, when the unions were powerful and they were able to you know, have, have sway over the elect, nobody seemed to worry about it. And over the last several years, when it's conservatives that keep winning elections, now this has become this issue. So the big story out today, and there's a, again, there's a, a scathing, ill-considered editorial, if for anybody who still reads the editorial page at the Journal Sentinel, um, there were a series of retired, now these are, of course the emphasis is retired, these are people who aren't in the system anymore, judges who were urging the state Supreme Court to adopt a, to change their rules, to adopt essentially a bright line policy, which would have said that if you donate money to a particular judicial candidate, and it's over a certain dollar amount, then the judge or the justice automatically has to recuse themselves, which means they have to step down. So essentially, if if I support, let's say, a, a judge or a justice, and I, I think, hey, I, I really, okay, this this just the person who's running for the Supreme Court is a friend of mine. Or I think that they're really they're doing a really good job, or I like the philosophy that they have, and I donate money above a certain dollar limit that that person would automatically have to step down. Now, obviously, if they're friends and there's a personal relationship, they would recuse themselves. But merely the fact that I might say, "Hey, you know, I think this is the type of justice that we want on the court. I'm going to make a donation. If it was above a certain dollar amount, the the, the rule." that was proposed would have required them to, again, recuse themselves, step down. And it's actually, it's a very small dollar amount. Circuit court judges, under the proposal, if if somebody had donated $1,000 or more, um, they would have to, if I was an attorney, and I, I liked the way, I am an attorney, but if I was practicing law, and I liked the way, I thought, hey, this is the kind of judge, this is a tough-on-crime judge. I, I like 
I like this judge, and I donated $1,000 to the re-election campaign, that judge wouldn't be able to hear cases involving me. Really? Um, $2,500 for appeals judges, $10,000 for Supreme Court justices. So they wanted this bright line rule by a 5-2 to two vote. The conservative majority in the state Supreme Court said, no, we're not adopting a bright line rule. Now, judges... All our justices always, you know, have the authority and the obligation to investigate whether or not there's a conflict of interest, whether or not there's an appearance of impropriety. And it may very well be that if you've got, you know, a a big, if you've got some big donor and that big donor has a case in front of the court, because of the sheer amount of the contribution, it's not necessarily $10,000, which in the grand scheme of things nowadays isn't that much money um, as far as donations. But if you've got somebody who's an enormous donor, well, obviously the judge or the justice is still going to have an ethical obligation to looking at all the facts and circumstances, making a determination whether they should set aside, step aside. But this idea that we set a certain dollar amount, this is what this is all about. This is the left's attempt. Let's just be honest here. This is the left's attempt to try to subvert the electoral process by forcing people, judges or justices who are elected, by forcing them off of cases. That is what this is about. You would never have seen this, again, if you had a liberal majority on the court. But you've got a lot of people, again, on the left who don't like the fact that conservatives win judicial elections, especially for the state Supreme Court. They are trying to force those justices off cases in order to, well, again, make it difficult for the cases to be decided or get justices that they think have a philosophy they don't like to get them off the case. And the five by five to two vote, the majority in the Supreme Court refuse to buy into that. And this idea that, you, well, we've got some of these retired judges who came up with this idea. Yeah, well, they're, they're retired judges who, as a general rule, probably aren't too terribly sympathetic to the direction that the Supreme Court has taken anyways. But again, Gableman's point, Justice Gableman's point, that it is interesting that it's only after the left starts losing elections that we now become concerned about this. Plus, there's the other issue um, about in the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court has made it very clear that, you know, money is a form of, of free speech. And so why you would set arbitrary limits Again, I, I'm not arguing that there might be a situation where, you know, a, a judge or a justice should recuse themselves. I mean, let, let's take an example where you have you know, somebody who's known to the judge or justice who has donated a very large amount of money. Well, in that case, I, I think you do have the appearance of impropriety. But just because some lawyer gives a judge a thousand bucks, you know, the idea that you know the judge can't hear cases involving the lawyer's clients, I think is ridiculous. And to have approved this rule would have been ridiculous. And I understand that uh, some people on the left don't like to hear that, and the Journal Sentinel editorial board is all up in arms, but the truth is this was, I, the, there's no way the Supreme Court, the justices, should have taken the bait, and I'm glad that they didn't. It's 9.55. This is Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. Hey, coming up in a couple minutes, they left their kids on a bench 
Now they're being charged with child neglect. And a quick reminder, right after the 10 o'clock news, you have one more chance to follow the Brewers. Stick around. 955, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You want to talk about the law of unintended consequences. Um, You had a a terrorist attack in in France yesterday. Apparently a gunman opens fire, ends up killing a police officer and wounding other people on the streets. Um, He's then shot to death. ISIS is claiming responsibility for this. The interesting thing is, you know, um, France has national elections coming up in just a couple days where they're going to be winnowing the slate of candidates from 11 to 2. Um, The the hard right candidate was starting to fail a little bit in the polls. Um, this, and again, in the law of unintended consequences, I don't know what ISIS was trying to accomplish, but yet another terror attack in, in France, the real effect of this is, I think it, it probably makes it more likely that people are going to vote for political candidates that are going to stress security, and, and that's already what's happening. So, yeah, you had this attack, but in the law of unintended consequences, it might make it easier for the French to elect a new president who is more hard line than the existing ones. Go figure. It's 959. This is Jeff Wagner. We've got Follow the Brewers coming up. And after that, they left their kids on a bench in the mall. Now they're charged. Plus, ban the box. Stick around. It's all coming up. Few things are better than sunshine and tailgating. So why not take it on the road to see your favorite baseball team? Be the right caller to win a four-pack of Brewers tickets. And you could qualify for a grand prize getaway to see the crew pick up a road win. It's Jeff Wagner's Follow the Brewers, sponsored by West Bend, The Silver Lining, Noodles and Company, and the home of the Brewers, 620 WTMJ. Well, we do this every weekday at approximately 9.10, your chance to follow the Brewers. But because my show, we didn't have a live show yesterday, we rebroadcast Insight, um, I, I have another I have another four-pack of tickets to give away. So, 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, Caller 20. Caller 20 wins a four-pack of tickets to see a home game for the Brewers and the, between the Brewers and the Braves later on this month. The winner is also going to qualify for a chance to follow the Brewers to Minneapolis for the Brewers-Twins game on August 7th. We've had four winners already. This will be the fifth daily winner. And um, what we're going to do is sometime in the next hour or so, we will randomly select one of our daily winners, including whoever our most, uh, one of those, the five people who have been our daily qualifiers, including whoever wins this time. One of those names will be chosen, and that person gets to follow the Brewers to uh, Minneapolis for the August 7th game. We are allowed to do this courtesy of... Our friends at West Bend, the Silver Lining, Noodles and Company, and the home of the Brewers, 620 WTMJ, your chance to follow the Brewers. And it's kind of cool we got to do two giveaways today. I certainly appreciate that. All right, Elvis, who is producing the show in lieu of Hondo today, who's doing something else, um, he is tracking down. We'll have our fifth qualifier, and then later on in the program, we'll let you know who the weekly grand prize winner is. But before that, though... um, I'm very intrigued by this story. It, over the years, we have talked a lot about the, like the home alone situations, you know, based on the old movie where the, the parents leave the kid and he's home alone and they go off on the vacation. You, you hear a lot of these home alone type of stories. This, this is one with a twist. 
last month, actually the end of last month, uh, there's this couple, and by all stretch of the imagination, they are they are a, they are good parents. They've got three kids. One is eight, one is six, and one is an infant, one month old, newborn baby. Um, it's a Saturday afternoon. The mom and dad both work as custodians at this mall in Rochester, New York. So they both work as custodians. That's in the mall. Um, Child care falls through for the day, and both of them are scheduled to go to work. So their child care plans have fallen through. You've got these three kids, eight, six, and a newborn, and they're trying to decide what to do. So what they do is around noon, they're supposed to be at work around then, they report for work. They bring the three kids to the mall, eight, six, and one-month-old. The one-month-old is apparently in, in a stroller. And what they do is they park the three kids on a bench in the mall outside, like, the Lord and Taylor store, and then they go to work. So they're off at work. Um, we have our second winner of the day, um, Raquel in Oconomowoc. All right, so Raquel in Oconomowoc, she goes in to our weekly drawing sometime in the next hour or so. One of our five daily qualifiers will um, win our weekly grand prize. This is a trip to Minneapolis to follow the Brewers to watch them play the Twins in August. So keep listening. Um, we're going to be running this contest uh, for one or two more weeks at least, maybe even a little bit more, but definitely next week. nine ten will be your next chance to win, and later on this morning we'll let you know who the weekly grand prize winner was. So anyhow, Parents are custodians. They work at the mall. It's a Saturday. They show up at noon. Their child care has fallen through. They park the 8-year-old, the 6-year-old, and the newborn um, on, a park, on a bench in the mall outside of the Lord and Taylor store. And then they go to work. Now, what happens is, right around uh, later on in the afternoon, mall security is alerted to the children's presence after the 8-year-old pushed a stroller carrying the baby into a restricted hallway. Other mall employees noticed the children in the restricted area and called security. Just before 625, deputies and mall security officers locate the kids in the employee access hallway. They say that it appears that the kids spent most of their unsupervised mall area hours in the public area near Lord and Taylor. So I think what happens is mom and dad, they got to go to work. They say, okay, here, you know, you guys stay on the park bench. You stay on the mall bench. Um, it is unclear as to whether or not mom and dad checked on them. I assume that they did check on them from time to time, but I don't know that for sure. But there's no question that for the vast majority of this time, the kids are unsupervised on the bench in the mall. Mom and dad have now been charged with three counts of of endangering the welfare of a child, which is a misdemeanor. Um, They showed up in court yesterday and pled not guilty. So, no, we're we're not guilty of this. And I think their argument is, look, the the kids, we were around. Yes, we left them on the bench, but we were were around. Presumably, they're going to say they checked on them from time to time. But there's no question these kids were... These kids were unsupervised for the vast majority of the time. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Right, this is kind of a variation of the Home Alone story. This isn't the parents went out drinking and left the kids overnight. This is their child care fell through. They had to go to work. 
they took the kids to work. In this case, they work in a mall, and they left the kids by themselves in the public area of the mall. Is this child neglect? I have a take. I will share it with you, and we will discuss. But what do you think? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a crime, or is this just simply an exercise in bad judgment? Does the system need to get involved? And by the way, these parents had never had no allegations of child neglect. There's no history of this. All right, 414-799-1620 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1015. Ten eighteen, Jeff Breton at 620 WTMJ as President Trump nears the end of his first 100 days in the White House. What campaign promises have been kept and which ones have fallen short to this point? John McCure analyzes 340 this afternoon during Wisconsin's afternoon news. And by the way, um, this is part of the All-American Window and Doors We Love Wisconsin tour. John's taking the show on the road. He's going to be at the Hobnob Restaurant uh, down in Racine. So check that all out. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the deal if you're just tuning in. Mom and dad, they're both in their late 30s. They work as janitors, custodians at a mall. Child care falls through. They're both due at work like noon on a Saturday a couple weeks ago. They don't know what to do. They've got three kids, eight, six, and an infant, a newborn, one month old. So what they do is they bring the kids to the mall. Um, the newborn is in a like a baby carriage, a stroller, or whatever, baby carriage, I think. And they park the kids on a public bench outside one of the stores in the mall, and then they go to work. Now, presumably, they checked on them from time to time, but what happens is um, the kids start wandering around the mall. They find them down in a restricted area that's only open to employees. The cops come, and they determine that for a large part of six hours, these kids were unattended. Mom and Dad have now been charged. Is this the right thing? Let's start with Richard in New Berlin. Richard, you're first. Good morning. Uh, Yes. uh, So I think... You have to charge the parents. You can't just leave children of those ages for any amount of time like that. So I think that the parents should be charged and the system should be able Mm -hmm. to take care of that. Um, so you think that even though mom and dad, now mom and dad were, while not not physically present with the kids, they were sort of on the premises, you still think that that was wrong? Yes, I don't think you can leave children of that age alone in today's society for even right. 20 minutes. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Our text line is um, kind of ex- exploding here. Um, here's what Lori writes. How many kids get snatched from malls even when the parents are around? One of them should have taken off work that day. Parents call in all the time at work if they don't have arrangements for the kids. It's inconvenient to all but necessary. Okay, Mike on our text line has a different take. He writes, I believe these parents did the right thing by bringing the mayor to work and telling them to sit there and be quiet instead of simply leaving them at home, which is, I mean, I, that that's the other. Now, theoretically, if they had left the three kids at home, nobody would have known about this unless something bad ended up happening. They and that's one of the things that they're going to be arguing, they're going to be saying, hey, you know, we we could have left them at home, but we thought it would be better to have them at least where we were working because then we could presumably check on them from time to time as opposed to whether they were at home. 
Um, interesting theory. And then Sarah in Brookfield writes, The case speaks to me more of a societal failure. Parents need a community around them, so they are never forced to make hard choices between going to work um, and child care. Um, well, all right, but parents, the reality is parents have that, 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 that choice all the time. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am sympathetic to the argument that if they had left the kids home, Nobody would have probably ever known about that. But having said that, who in their right mind takes an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a newborn, leaving the newborn in the care of the 8-year-old, and puts them on a bench outside a store in a mall for hours and hours? what, What good can possibly come from that? And I understand that they're in a bind. I, I get all that. And I understand that maybe it's a situation where if one of them calls in, they might end up losing their job, and that's an unfortunate situation. But you can't, you can't just dump three children ages eight, six, and one month alone on a bench in a mall and disappear for long periods of time, even if you are in the mall. I don't think, at least. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Joe in Waukesha. Joe, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Good. Okay. Did these parents screw up? Oh, they screwed up bad, and here's why. Now, I don't know their entire life story and, and what's going on with them, but what I do know is custodial work, you don't make that much money, number one. Right. So if child care was not available that day, to say that one of them could not have stayed home and possibly offset the cost of what the child care would have been for that day, Based yeah. on their job, yeah, and, I, and again, and I don't know what their, I don't know, I don't know what their typical childcare sure. thing is. It, it might be, you know, sisters or parents. I don't know who watches the kids. Sure, right, right, and and again, and that's that's, despite all of that, you know, you know, all that aside, these parents should have stopped at two kids. Well, okay. I, I, well, I mean, I don't. I mean, I guess, see, I, I, I don't want to go down that route because I understand how how parents get caught in a bind. I, I mean, I understand that. I mean, I think anybody who's had kids, and I, okay, I, I admittedly, this is where I quickly get beyond my depth because I don't have children, but I mean, I can understand how, you know, you make arrangements and somehow, you know, stuff falls through and you end up, you know, you're, you're in this kind of bind. And I'm not saying that that, I'm not saying that that makes you a bad parent or that you shouldn't have had the third child or whatever because maybe, you know, most times this, this works out and it's not an issue. Having said that, though, this strikes me as being incredibly bad, bad judgment. And I understand that maybe there's not a lot of good alternatives, but just like you, you just by, by take actually, I mean, you can make an argument, I think, that maybe you would have been better off leaving the kids at home because, at least at home, it's a somewhat controlled environment. Now, I'm not arguing that you should leave a 8-year-old in charge of a 6-year-old and in charge of a newborn, okay? That's not a good alternative either. But taking the kids to the mall and putting them in a public place where you've got all these strangers around, to me, that's actually a much worse decision than leaving them home alone. Now... Do I think they should have been charged with something? Yeah, because I think you need to have a chance for the system to look at it. Am I going to argue that mom and dad automatically need to lose custody of the kids? No. Am I going to argue that mom and dad need to go to jail for three years? No, I'm not going to argue that. I don't know what the appropriate disposition is, but I I do know that this is, I mean, this is neglectful. 
and you know we we have these conversations about people who leave their kids in a car in a parking lot while they run into the grocery store for 30 minutes or they run into the big box store for 30 minutes well okay to me uh, again leaving your kids in a car for 30 minutes is a lot less dangerous than leaving your three children by themselves sitting on a bench outside a Lord and Taylor in a shopping mall. And, yeah, I do think the authorities need to get involved. It's 1025. This is Jeff Weck. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The Packers' schedule is official. They'll start the season September 10th at Lambeau Field against the Seattle Seahawks. Check out the whole season slate in the Packers section of WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. Apps, actually, I think it's a, um, I think it's a great schedule. Um, what I like, too, is... I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of a traditionalist. I, I like football games that start at either noon or at 325. Um, there's only, I think, one night ga- There's one Thursday night game and I think one Sunday night game. Um, otherwise, most of the things I think are day games. And the subjects, the, of course, it's scheduled to change and all. But for somebody who, again, likes the noon or the 3 o'clock games, um, I think uh, this year you're going to see a lot of that. You know, I just... I understand that there's a lot of stuff that Donald Trump does that he gets criticized with, and, and he deserves he deserves it, especially with some of the tweets. But still, this war against Trump that some people in the mainstream media are conducting. All right, the other day, the New England Patriots go to the White House with the thing. The um, apparently, the what happened is that when they were arranging for the photo. You know, a couple of years ago, the Patriots were at the White House, and people are all surrounding President Obama. And so, like, the New York Times makes a big deal of this, um, that the photo that they took makes it look like fewer people were at the Trump, visiting Trump, than were visiting Obama. And so this is kind of the photo flap. Well, what, what ended up happening is that there were actually the same number of people, although slightly fewer football players showed up, but the delegation from the Patriot was the same. The only difference was, for the purpose of the picture, they rearranged it. So there were a bunch of front office employees who a couple years ago were up on the stage, so they were included in the photo. This year, they were there, but they were off stage, so they didn't show up in the photo. And, of course, the way the New York Times plays this is that, hey, let's compare the photos, comparing the Patriots' visit with Trump on Wednesday to when they were there in 2015, and there's a much bigger crowd around Obama. Well, okay, that's, that is, as we say, true. It's accurate, but it's not true. There, there were more people and the photos surrounding President Obama, but that is only because they had more people that were included in the photo. And, you know, and then, of course, Trump is blasting the New York Times over this flap. And in this case, you know, President Trump is, is correct. I mean, the story was presented in such a way to make it look like there's fewer people there, and that ultimately is not true. I, I understand that Trump gets a lot of criticism, and much of it is deserved for some of the things he does, but at the same time, this vendetta that some of these mainstream media outlets have against him, if they would dial that back as well and start to concentrate on being more objective as journalists, maybe, maybe just maybe, we would raise the level of discourse, just saying. Ten thirty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. After a Bucks blowout win in Game Three, what a game! 
Wow, for the Bucks. Does your thought process shift from if to when they move on to the second round? Greg Matzik says that's an easy question with a not-so-simple answer. He will explain this evening, Sports Central at 6.07. So uh, regardless, so that was just a, it was a, it was a great win. There's no question about it. Just a great Bucks win yesterday. So hopefully they will be able to keep it up. All right. When I got out of uh, college, moved back to Milwaukee, and was getting ready to go to law school, one of the... I, I had a good relationship with my parents. I, I did. But I, I was... Okay, so I got out of college. I'm like 21. I'm 22 years old. Living at home was just the furthest thing from my mind. And it's... I mean, I, I just... Again, I, I could have... Could have stayed in in you know my old bedroom or whatever. I just that that was not it. So what I what I did is I found kind of an entry level job and found a friend of mine and you know we we, we moved out. And so I mean a- after I got out of college, I think I, I lived for a couple weeks with my in my parents' house just long enough so we could find the place and, and move in. And I, it never occurred to me to go back to living with my my parents. I understand. That there, there's some people who you, you get into these temporary circumstances where you, you got to go back and you got to move in with mom and dad for a little bit. But the idea of moving in with mom and dad for any length of time, again, I had a pretty decent relationship with my parents. It was like, really? I mean, I'm in my 20s. That, that's just, that is not going to, that's just not going to happen. And that was me. And that, that's the way I think it, it used to be. For example, um, I'm looking at census data. In in the mid-1970s, young American adults in the 18 to 34-year-old age bracket were far more likely to be married and living with a spouse than living in their parents' home. And that, that's the way it used to be. And we're not, again, just talking about people who just gotten out of college. We're talking about people all the way between 18 and 34. But the trend was you, you get married, you, you move out, you're not living with mom and dad. That is not the case anymore. Um, here are the numbers. The number one living arrangement for Americans in this age bracket, 18 to 34, is to live without a spouse with mom and dad. So you, you've got people, the, that is the most common living arrangement that you have people in their 20s and up to 34, living with mom and dad without a spouse. Um, 20, almost 23 million, according to the census, almost 23 million 18 to 34-year-olds now live at, again, at home with mom and dad instead of with a spouse, as opposed to about 20 million who are married and live with their spouse. And that's a pretty dramatic flip from where we were in 1975 when they had like 32 million Americans in that range were married and living with their spouse. That was the most common living arrangement for that age bracket 40 years ago. Now it is completely flipped. All right, I I am intrigued by this. Our our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that some of this is driven... By finances, you know, you, you maybe it's student loans or or the inability to get a job or, or something like that. I understand that that some of that is what's driving this, but I actually think I, I think there might be something more to that. And I think my sense is there is a good 
good perception, goodly percentage of the people that are, you know, in their upper 20s or their early 30s who are living at home, it, it's, it's simply because it's easier to do that and that this is one of the hallmarks of the millennial generation. It's just flat out easier to say, hey, I'm going to live at, at home. I'm not going to go out on my own. Now, I understand some of it's driven by money, but I think a lot of it's just driven by convenience. 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think's going on? Is this all a product of student loans and the fact that, especially for younger males, it's tough to come out and get good, well-paying jobs? Or is there an element of just laziness and convenience and, hey, it's just easy. If mom and dad are going to let me hang out in the basement, why don't I hang out in the basement till I'm... 35 years old. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, when I was in my early 20s, um, I just, I, I love my mom and dad. I loved my mom and dad. But the idea of living in my parents' home in, in my mid-20s, just, just shoot me. 414-799-1620 is the number we discuss next. 1040 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1044, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We have a large tour group here, and everybody's welcome at TMJ. That's outstanding. Um, all right. An amazing number. In the last 40 years, it's completely flipped. When you look at people ages 18 to 34, according to the census data, the, the most common living arrangement is living at home with mom and dad being single. And that's a complete flip from the way it was 40 years ago, when by far the most common arrangement was... Uh, you've got a spouse or a significant other, and you're out on your own. Um, I understand it, it's maybe easy to explain this by saying, well, the economy's bad, but I, I don't think that's it. Um, on our text line, Jamie from Muskego writes, I think we can blame this in part to the emergence of helicopter parenting over the last decade. Hmm. Um, here we have, and Chris writes, I'm not into stereotypes, but now, that being said, uh, I'm in my mid-40s. I've seen co-workers fresh out of college that can't deal with a large degree of responsibility. I actually feel okay when I speak to these people. They have spouses that don't want to work even when jobs are offered and don't want to invest in future endeavors. Um, it is sad and concerning. Byron in New Berlin writes, I personally think most young people expect high living right away, living in a nice house in a nice area right away. They can't achieve it as fast as they like, so they resort to living at home. Hmm. 414-799-1620. Is this part of a larger thing? What's going on? Jim in Milwaukee. Jim, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. Good morning to you, too. Uh, I have actually uh, a son and a daughter living uh, with us. Ages? Ages? uh, My daughter's 33, and she got married last year. So her, her, her husband lives with her as well? Her husband lives with her or with us as well. Okay. And then I have a 27-year-old son just got engaged, getting married next year, that lives with us and also has works out of the home. Okay. And he just graduated from school a couple years ago. Both are saving uh, to uh, to buy a home. Uh, they eventually will move out at some point. <laughs> yeah. uh, you sure about and, that there, Jim? <laughs> and quite frankly, Jeff, we love having them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be a very quiet house if we didn't have them. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but uh, we, we think about it somewhat uh, in both the positive and the negative sense. But, how, uh, how long, has, I mean, has your, your, you said your daughter's 33. Has she always lived with you? No, no, no. Okay. She, uh, she, she, like you, uh, wanted to move out right away. And <laughs> right. And that's not a, refi- I mean, I got along well with my parents. It's just 
they would have living at home would have cramped my style when I was in my twenties, if you know what I mean. Well, she she is very independent. She lived on her own in Milwaukee for uh, a number of years, and and then uh, uh, she went to school, came back. We helped her with her education, so that's why she didn't have any uh, student right. loans and. Uh, and I think she did get comfortable, and, and we got comfortable with her there. Right. You know, we love her right. new husband, and uh, and and we have plenty of room. We have a three-bedroom house. We right. were empty nesters, and uh, now we're full nesters. <laughs> well, I guess I guess if it works again, I'm not I'm not condemning this. I mean, because obviously everybody's got to figure out what works. It, it is just. It's an interesting thing to me, and it's an interesting phenomena. Now, if you travel to Europe, because, because home prices are so expensive, it is not unusual to see several generations of families all living in, in the same house. Uh, you know, multiple, I mean, multiple generations, because people you know, just can't afford, to buy, can't afford to buy houses, can't afford to like, live in some of the places. I don't know that the U.S. has necessarily come to that, though. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Um, John, who's calling us from Michigan. John, good morning. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think it's just laziness, and I don't have a, a complete answer for it. But I, I know that in my case, I came to Wisconsin way back to go to graduate school way back in the '60s, and I wanted to get out of my house as badly as you can imagine right. anyone could. And I came out here, I went through graduate school, and then after that I had a long period of time where I floundered around and wasn't really sure what to do with my life and did not have a whole lot of money. The last thing on earth that what I would, and I had good parents, yeah. but the last thing on earth that I would have ever thought of, I don't think it ever even popped into my head to go home and stay with my family. Right. And, and it would have been very convenient for me to do that at an uh, for a, a good chunk of years, uh, but I, you know, I, I wanted to be on my own, and it's yeah. very mysterious to me. Yeah, uh, I mean, right. It was, I it was just that you know, I understand why people. I understand people wanting, you know, what you said about Europe and families traditionally have uh, have all lived together, and there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But boy, it didn't. It does not accord with my experience uh, and my, and what I thought saw in my generation. Yeah, no, thanks. I, I do think that there's an. I think. There is a, a generational difference, and and, and again, I, I mean, look, I, I appreciate our first caller who you know, you know, loves his daughter, loves his son, you know, loves his son-in-law. I'm just think I, I'd also, and again, it's easy for me to say because I don't have kids, but I could also try to imagine a situation where you know, you, you get to the point where okay, you've raised the kids. I'm like, all right, I think maybe I'd like some time for just the two of us, you know. And and, and again, I mean, 33 years old, and I'm not knocking it. Everybody's got to, you know, water's got to find its own level. But I'm, I'm kind of with you. That would have been just so incredibly alien to me. And um, I'm just, and, um, <laughs> but, but of course, this is now becoming the more common sort of, of arrangement that's out there. I think it's more than economics. I, I, I do. I understand for... A certain segment of people, it's okay. Well, I, I I can't afford to move out, but I don't think that explains it, it all. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. Let's talk to uh, let's see, Jim uh, on a cell phone. Jim, you're at six twenty WTMJ. Hello. There is something really going on out there. I've been doing rentals for twenty some years plus, and I noticed this probably since November last year. I have property up for rental and 
they're either showing up, they have no education, they make a bag of peanuts per hour. Um, so I don't know if they're all staying behind because of that. Some of them come with their parents. Their parents do the talking. Parents will say, well, let me be the secondary on this application, and I'll pay for everything. And, yeah, I have <laughs> I have friends that have children, and their children are 30-some years old, married, living in mom and dad's basement with their kids. And, I, with their kids. Yeah, I just, yeah, I, I mean, and again, that. look, I mean, I understand that there are going to be, there, there's going to be circumstances. Maybe it's, you know, maybe one of the spouses gets sick, you know, and, and you need right. some of that extra. I mean, so I, I understand that there's going to be individual circumstances where you, you've got to move back in with mom and dad. But this is this is part of this larger thing when you yeah. see that this is now that this is now the the largest 18 to 34. It's the largest group. Now, thanks to call. And I mean, I get it. It is. It's sort of a societal shift. And again, I. I think it's great if you've got mom and dad, you know, you've got that place to go, and, and I, I, would, I would never knock it. And there's individual circumstances that justify it, but this has become the most common thing that, that, that's out there. And simply saying, well, okay, you, you have, uh, it's, it's interesting, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Lisa in Wind Lake. Lisa, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I think it's two things. Um, parents, number one, not willing to let go. Secondly, um, kids not willing to settle for what they can afford um and part of that comes from the parents not willing to let go because sometimes what they can afford might not necessarily be the safest area or the most comfortable area for the parents to think the kids can live in right um but that's how people grow is being put in uncomfortable situations and kids aren't that isn't happening with kids today because their parents are making things comfortable. Well, yeah, I mean, so and it, and it, right? Yeah, it's well, it's just, it's also just as easy. It's kind of like okay, let, let's take let's take a a twenty four year old uh, let, let's take a twenty six year old male who's you know been, been living at home with the parents for a long time, and it's kind of just like well. Oh, okay. I, I'm working the job. Maybe it's not the greatest job in the world, but hey, if, if I can live rent free with mom and dad, you know, that's just that, that that's just great. But I mean, God, when I was 26, that would have killed me. It would have just killed me to to be living at home. I, and I love I my parents. Friend, I have a friend in his mid 40s who still lives with his parents because number one, his mom won't let him move out, which is <laughs> crazy. But he also. It's comfortable. Why, again, why leave? His mom doesn't want him to leave. You know, his his dad would love it if he left. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's just why why let go if okay, you don't now, have to. Now, now, Lisa, give, give me some give me a female perspective on this. Okay, let's say let's say that you are a thirty something year old woman and you're going out on a date with a guy who's in his upper thirties or early forties and you find out he's living at home with his mother and father. It, am I wrong or are red flags gonna go up? Well that would be why my friend still lives with his parents. He can't get a girlfriend. Um, but that's a whole other story in itself. Well but but I mean part of it might be you're living at home. I mean, right, right. It's it's kind of I I, I can't even imagine um no, it's a vicious circle. No, I no, I, I think, and again, I, I, I don't know. And there might be all these kind of justifications, but hey, um, you know, you want to go back to my place? Well, okay, um, yeah, mom and dad aren't going to be back for the movies for a while. I'm just saying. Sue and Grafton, Sue, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I agree a lot with your last caller, but truthfully, I don't think it's good for the kids to be coddled like that. I had two boys that graduated from college in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. I made a deal with them. When they graduated, they could come home 
stay for a year, get a job, save their money, but after a year, that was it. You're out the door. You're on your own. (laughs) (laughs) The youngest one didn't take me up on that. The youngest one did, and he saved his money till he could afford a car, and then he was out the door, and I wouldn't have had it any other way. They can't grow up if you don't let them. I was going to ask you, so that, that's why. For you, it was kind of like you, you, you love your kids, you wanted to help them get a start, but it was kind of like, hey, you need to get out. Little bird, you got to be free and got to go fly. It's time to leave Absolutely. the nest. Absolutely. When they went away to college, I told them they could go anywhere in the state they wanted, but they could not stay here. Right. <laughs> not that I didn't want them to. But they have to grow up at some point. Right. Now, I would expect that sometime over the last 20 years, if, if either one of your children had had this sort of huge reversal and you, you, they, they needed to move back in with you temporarily, you would have probably said yes, with the idea being it's a temporary type of thing. Um, maybe. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Fair. All right. I, you know, I think I would have tried to find some way else to help right. them first. Right rather than let them fall back on me. Right. right. It's not that I wouldn't want them there. I just don't yeah. think it's good for them. Got it. Okay. Thanks for being honest. <laughs> Thanks for the call. So, yeah, I love it. Well, I was trying to set her up. I was trying to throw her the softball. I appreciate the honesty. Well, maybe. Again, I, I, it's just, to me, this is, I am I am fascinated by cultural changes, and, and this is, this is a cultural change. And again, I understand, as I'm saying, that there are there are circumstances where you know some people. Again, maybe there's an illness, maybe there's a financial reversal. I certainly understand the idea of people, and it's great that parents and kids have the kind of relationship where okay, this is you know we're going to have this arrangement for X amount of time, but but that doesn't explain what's going on here, where this is now the largest, the most common living arrangement. For people ages 18 to 34, it's not just, hey, you know, I've got, you know, I need somebody to to help do this or I've lost the job or whatever. This is becoming the norm. And I guess we'll decide whether it's good or not in a little while. It's 1057 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, next coming up next, if you are a smoker, um, you'll want to stick around. It's 1108 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Of all the bad decisions that were made during the Jim Doyle administration, and believe me, there were a lot of them, I, I think the one that is probably going to haunt the state for the longest period of time is the decision on, on Indian gaming. Now, this the ultimate irony is when Jim Doyle was the attorney general, he was just death on gambling. He, he was an advocate, no gambling, no gambling, no gambling. And as soon as he became governor... Um, when there was money to be raked in and campaign contributions from Indian tribes, then it was, okay, let, let's cut these deals. Well, all right, he cut the deals. But if you want to talk about a series of lousy deals that haunts the state to this day, it is the compacts that Jim Doyle cut. Um, for people who are upset with Governor Walker because you, you didn't... Um, the Menominee weren't able to partner with the Seminole Tribe out of Florida and turn Dairyland Park into a casino. For everybody who's upset with Governor Walker, what you need to realize is that's not Scott Walker's fault. That The problem is that the deal that Doyle struck, which essentially gave the Potawatomi Tribe a monopoly in South, to gambling in southeastern Wisconsin, made it, well, incredibly legally risky and probably, ultimately, maybe a loser for the state to try to uh, allow, in this case, that, that other casino to open. That was an issue created by, by Jim Doyle. You know, Indian gaming has, 
I think if you look at all the different things that has gone on, it's not just winners and losers between Native Americans and non-Native Americans, but the, the Doyle deals were so bad that they have created winners and losers among the Indian tribes. And there's one that's playing out now. There are three tribes that have been enriched beyond the dreams of avarice by Indian gaming in Wisconsin. One is the Forest County Potawatomi, who run the casino downtown Milwaukee, with essentially a monopoly operation to operate in southeastern Wisconsin. Um, The Oneida tribe in Green Bay, with their hotel and casino, does very well. And the Ho-Chunk Nation, which operates the, the big casino out in Wisconsin Dells, which is a license to print money. Well, there are other tribes then that, well, they're, they're, so those are the big three. They're the ones that rake in a bunch of money. There's other smaller tribes that are trying to get by with a little bit of gaming revenue and stuff, but they operate much smaller casinos, and in general, they're on, they're on the premises, they're on the, the uh, Indian reservation, and, and they don't make anywhere near as much money. What is happening now is you have at least one of the bigger tribes, the Ho-Chunk, which is, at least in my opinion, trying to force one of the other tribes uh, essentially out of of business. Here's the deal. One of the rules of gaming is, unless you're in Las Vegas, where in Las Vegas people might wander around, go to casino to casino, but for everyday gambling, the general rule is, People don't drive past one casino to get to another. You go to the casino that is closest to you. That's the argument that the Potawatomi were making about why, about they were, how much business they claimed that they would lose if you opened a casino in Kenosha. They were saying, well, people who are coming up from you know the, the south, they, they wouldn't come to us anymore. They would stop off at Kenosha. That, that's one of the basic rules of gambling. Okay, so you have the Stockbridge uh, tribe. They have a small casino near Bowler. Well, Bowler's kind of by, by Shawano, um, outside, of, outside of Green Bay, 45 minutes or an hour out of, of Green Bay. All right, so you have the big casinos. For example, Ho-Chunk off, operates a huge casino in the Wisconsin Dells. Under the deals that they cut with, with Jim Doyle, some of these casinos, that some of these tribes, like the Ho-Chunk, they are also able to have limited gambling at what they call ancillary facilities. And typically an ancillary facility would be like a truck, a truck like a convenience store where you've got a gas station and maybe you've got, you know, you're, you're selling the, the duty-free tobacco and you have some slot machines. But, but these ancillary facilities... I don't think were ever intended to be, you know, casinos. They were, okay, you know, you've got this, you've got this land, you're running the gas station, you can have some slot machines in that. Well, the, the Ho-Chunk um, have this plan that what they want to do is they want to take this ancillary facility um, and then do a 30 that, that they have that's very, very close to Bowler, where the Stockbridge have their little casino, and what the Ho-Chunk want to do is they want to, they're going to put $33 million into this quote-unquote ancillary facility. They're going to add a, a hotel. They're going to add 250 slot machines um, to this little casino that they opened in 2008 as part of this ancillary facility. The Stockbridge are saying, wait a second. 
you know, this, this first of all, there's, there's a couple legal issues. When did you really own the property? But secondly, this is supposed to be an ancillary facility. This isn't supposed to be another giant hotel casino complex. And if you do this, you are essentially going to kill our business because, you know, this is between, like Wausau, this this new casino that you were talking about building, that's not just like a convenience store or some slot machines. This is a new full-blown casino. You're going to just kill us because you're going to be in between, like Wausau and where we are, and people aren't going to drive past your place to come to ours. Um, and so they filed a lawsuit. The Ho-Chunk have just responded by, you know, threatening that the lawsuit be dismissed or else they're going to go after the other tribe. It's, it's just a stone-cold mess. To me, apart from the legalities of this, you, you can see, I think what you've got is you've got some of the have tribes, the, the tribes that have the big casinos, they've decided to become economic bullies and try to push some of the smaller tribes out. So that's, that's the dynamic, number one, of going on. But number what's going on, and, and again, I, I take no position on the legal claims one way or the other. When, when you look at Indian gambling law, it is just it's a world unto itself, and so you know some court somewhere is going to have to sort out the details. But what, again, what it seems to me you have is you have some of these big tribes that have made a ton of money off of gambling that aren't satisfied and want to make even more, so they're trying to, again, cannibalize business, and if it hurts the smaller tribes, well, it, it ends up hurting the smaller tribes. That's number one. But number two, and th- this is the other takeaway from this, and it underscores to me what a bad deal... You know, the the Jim Doyle cut. And that is the decision to give the Indian tribes a monopoly on gaming in the first place. I mean, I just keep keep coming back, you know, to this whole notion of, you know, why was it? I mean, I understand because of, you know, uh, federal law interpretations. Okay, so maybe you had to allow Indian tribes to open up casinos. Okay, I get that. But why we decided to give them a monopoly to me, is absolutely beyond me. And if you really had a free market operate, you know, we don't, and some people would say, well, Jeff, you know, what do you care about whether the Ho-Chunk offer, opens up this other, you know, casino, and so it puts the Stockbridge Casino out of business, you know, who cares? You know, it's the free market. Well, it's not the free market. We have given Indian gaming an absolute monopoly. That's, to me, what the bad decision was. And it's a bad decision that is going to haunt us. I think... You know, think about how this state would be different if we did have a truly competitive situation. And if you had, I don't know, a casino operator like the MGM. Let's say, you know, MGM's got casinos all over. Let's say, you know, MGM says, hey, I think that there is an opportunity in Wisconsin. We think that um, we can make money. And, you know, if we, so we'll buy some land, you know, somewhere in Milwaukee County or, you know, close to the city. We think... We can build a better mousetrap. We think we can do it better than the Potawatomi. I'm not knocking Potawatomi. I'm just saying. Or we think, you know, we can build a casino out in the Wisconsin Dells that can operate better than the Ho-Chunk, and more people want to come to us. Well, why shouldn't they have been allowed to do that? I mean, see, that's that to me is what the ultimate frustration is, that, you know, we have given the Indian tribes a monopoly on gaming. Now they're eating their own. 
I mean, that's what this Stockbridge Ho Chunk thing is. It's like, okay, we're, you know, we the Ho Chunk, you know, we see an opportunity. They allege, allege that they're legally allowed to do it. And again, I, I'm not smart enough to know enough about the nuances of Indian gambling law to know whether they're right or wrong. But I see what they're trying to do. They're trying to make money, and they're trying to again. The effect of what they are trying to do, whether there's in, whether it is their express intent or not, if they're allowed to build this, take this convenience store, turn it into this giant casino hotel, the effect of that is going to be to cripple the Stockbridge one. So you, you've now got these Indian tribes which are out there cannibalizing each other. But why is it that they should have had a monopoly in the first place? That's where we were so incredibly, incredibly short-sighted all along this should have been something that was up to the free market. Like I say, if MGM wanted to come in here and thought they could run a casino and do a better job, why why didn't we allow them to do it? Now, the reality is the genie is out of the bottle. The deals that Jim Doyle cut make it almost impossible for that to happen. But every time I see these stories about the fights between the Indian tribes that are having over, you know, can another casino be here or whatever, I just keep thinking about the lost opportunity if we would have not given a monopoly to Native Americans for gaming. Just saying. It's 1119, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Stick around. It's 1121, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, Every day at 9 o'clock, a little bit after 9, around 9.10, as soon as we conclude the 9 o'clock news, we have our contest, Follow the Brewers. Each day we qualify one person. They get a four-pack of tickets to see a home game. And then on Friday, we randomly select one of our five daily winners. They get a chance to follow the Brewers. This week, we're sending somebody to Minneapolis in August to watch the Brewers play the Twins. We have our winner for this week. Come see what's Hi, I'm looking for Mark Herman. This is. Hey, Mark Doug Russell calling from WTMJ. How are you today? Excellent. Cool. Um, have you ever been to Target Field in Minneapolis? No, I have not. Well, I've got a couple of tickets for you if, you, uh, if you're interested for the August 7th game. Oh, absolutely, I am. Excellent. Well, you are a Follow the Brewers winner. It is uh, sponsored by News and Company and West Bend, the Silver Lining, and 620 WTMJ. Congratulations. You're headed to the Twin Cities. Excellent. Well, thank you very much. That's our winner this week. Keep listening. Um, Starting next Monday, we will have another trip, a chance to follow the Brewers somewhere else on the road, and a four-pack of tickets. And again, it's sponsored by our friends at Noodles & Company, American Family, The Silver Lining, and of course, 620 WTMJ. I'm just, this is fun. And given the fact that the Brewers are playing so well and the Bucks are playing well, good time to be a Wisconsin sports fan. All right. Uh, Huge dispute Brewing, no pun intended. Huge dispute brewing between smokers and non-smokers. Late last year, the Obama administration announced a rule saying that they were going to ban smoking in public housing residences. So this is a rule, it wasn't a law, but officials with the Department of Housing and Urban Development said that the rule, which is now being put into effect, um, prohibits people from from smoking in in public housing facilities. Um, this is going to affect about 1.2 million households, and it, again, it's being it's being rolled out. And if you live in public housing and you continue to smoke, um, you will be fined. First, you'll be warned, then you'll be fined. Ultimately, you can be evicted. 
right now, one of the things that's percolating under the surface is there's starting to be this blowback where a number of people who are cigarette smokers are saying, wait a second, this is it's a legal activity. We understand that people don't like cigarette smoking, but you know what? It's a legal activity, and we should be allowed to engage in this legal activity. All right, we've only got a couple minutes. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I am a non-smoker. I don't like being around cigarette smoking. I hate when I get into somebody's car and you can tell that they're a smoker because the thing, this place just reeks. Okay, I, I just I don't understand why people smoke cigarettes. Having said that, though, it is a legal activity, and if we're going to ban smoking in public housing, should we then be, I don't know, banning drinking beer in public housing? Where do we draw the line? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This was a rule that the Obama administration put into effect. It's a rule that many people are encouraging the Trump administration to roll back. You know, and I understand you might not agree with me on this, and I, I just I, I should I'm the last person defending cigarette smoking, which I think is bad for you. But you know, I don't think we should be telling people what they, what legal activity they can and cannot engage in. And I think Trump should look strongly at reversing this rule. We discuss. It's eleven twenty five. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 11.27, Jeff Wagner, the Week in Review coming up in just a couple minutes. I know you're probably going to disagree with me, but there's a push for Donald Trump to reverse Barack Obama's order that people no longer be allowed to smoke in public housing. I actually think he should do it. I'm not in favor of smoking necessarily, but it is a legal activity. Adam in Muskego. Adam, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Okay, should we roll this back or leave it in place? I agree it should be rolled back that the government should be able to tell us what to do with our with our lives. What legal activity, right. Correct. Right. But this is also public housing where the government financed it through us taxpayers. And, yes, rules should be in place that if you're in that financial crisis to be in public housing, luxury items like smoking should not be allowed. Well, I mean, what, how, how, what other – would you apply that then to – Let's say having a cell phone or, you know, cable TV or, or you know, buying a six-pack of beer or cake. I mean, at what point, how do you define, how would you define luxury items? And I'm just asking. Um, cable TV is a luxury item. You don't need cable TV to live. Um, uh-huh. Beer, liquor, you don't need that to live. You know, it, it's, it's there to, to yeah. help you get back on your feet. It's not there to sustain you for the rest of your life yeah. until your retirement years. So just to be yeah. consistent, you would... You you would support similar restrictions, people living in public housing, as to what they could spend money on. Again, like cable TV or or you know buying a six pack of beer or whatever. Correct. Correct. Okay. Thanks. I mean, I look. Here, I guess I I don't see I, that takes me down a slippery slope too. I don't. And I understand that you give up certain rights. You know, if you're going to be taking kind of benefits, but I. I don't. I don't know. I don't want. Even if I'm living in public housing, I don't want the government telling me I can't go buy a six pack of beer, or I don't want the government telling me I, I can't buy a, a you know a pack of cigarettes. Even though maybe you shouldn't be buying the pack of cigarettes because it's not healthy. I mean, do we really want that much Big Brother involved? This is an issue which is in fact percolating. Uh, part of the problem you have if you're a smoker is that you are a pariah. Nobody wants to stand up for smokers anymore. And even smokers, I think many of whom are kind of self-hating, they, they wish they, they could quit. But th- this, is a, 
this is a huge battle that is going to be playing out. Plus, the overlay is the whole issue of secondhand smoke, and people are saying, well, you know, if you live in an apartment and you're smoking, I'm going to be able to, it's going to infiltrate into my apartment, it's going to affect the quality of my life. Um, don't be surprised if the Trump administration takes another look at this. It's 11.35, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It is that time of the week. Week in review. We are live streaming this, Facebook Live. Um, this isn't going to be like acts of violence or anything like that, so you, it's safe to check out Facebook Live, 620 WTMJ. We are joined, as always, by Susie Falk from Falk Group Public Relations. Good morning. And Tracy Johnson from the Commercial Association of Realtors. Hello. All right. A lot of ground to cover. And, again, we're live streaming this, so the the ladies are dressed much better. I'm wearing my Jimmy Buffett, um, like, Margaritaville shirt today. but um, Usual attire. It is the usual attire. Um, Okay, let us get started. Um, And, and actually, this is really the second week in a row that we start off with kind of a a public relations crisis in a way. Last week we were talking about United Airlines tossing somebody off. Um, This week, Fox... Dumping Bill O'Reilly. Um, Bill O'Reilly has been a cash cow for them for going on 20 years. Four million plus um, viewers an evening. Um, it, he apparently has been involved in several sexual harassment claims over the years, most of which were known to Fox News, including one that was settled a number of years ago for a payment of $9 million. New York Times kind of put these all together, ran a story a few weeks ago, and uh, Bill O'Reilly has now been dumped by Fox News. Susie Falk, did Fox do the right thing? I think they had to. I think the consumer is always right, and they, you know, media companies have to answer to their consumers, and the consumers and the advertisers. Well, the advertisers gonna, were right. The see, advertisers that's what I was going to ask: were, is who are the yeah. consumers? Well, because the consumers interestingly, are those that buy product from the advertisers who are fleeing. Well, but it would be interesting though. The viewers weren't. I mean, his numbers sure. were up. I mean, his numbers actually Which, had gone right. up, mm-hmm. um, Jeff, but it, it was the advertisers. That's that why they they did the right thing because they know that they're going to continue bringing in, in viewers because. Fox is a brand, and they're known for conservative, okay, conservatism. And well, just so a minute, much he part is, of that well, brand. he is a brand, but you know what? He's and he will be fine. Fox is going to be fine. Well, yeah, he's going to walk away with tens of millions of dollars. You're not going to have that no. tag sale for Bill O'Reilly. No, yeah. I think they they had to listen to their advertisers, and and it wasn't just about the advertisers. There were protesters that were standing out front of the doors of the Fox. There's that, always protesters. Well, yeah, but it was not going away anytime soon. And I will say <laughs> that social media had a huge role in this. And <laughs> Tracy Johnson, did Fox cave in to the forces of political correctness in this issue? Well, I don't think they necessarily caved to the forces of political correctness. They There was a solid business case because the advertisers were going away. I just wonder if they could have, well, if they gave it more time, maybe it would have mounted. But they needed to substantiate the, the allegations. And that's where I kind of have a little bit of an issue. And, and I think Bill O'Reilly handled it great by saying, you know what, it's a shame that we have to part on these terms. I was so much a part of Bill their brand. Um, if I understand it correctly, the, the new management there has kind of, they're, they're a little softer on this stuff. And I, I actually disagree with you that Fox's brand is going to maintain. I think it's going to be severely weakened by well, this. They've, lo- they've lost him. They've lost Megan Kelly, you know, those, who are the, two of the stars. I guess one of the things that I'm wrestling with is that most of these allegations were, were known of. By, by, I mean, Fox has known about this and and still gave him a new contract I mean, several months ago. Yeah. So I guess my question is, 
from for the Fox perspective, is this really a stand against sexual harassment? Um, and if so, why, why did they give him a new contract if it really bothered him? Or is this just because the New York Times went after him? I think they and caved. Now, they caved. Know. And the other yeah. thing that's super that's interesting and I think disturbing is that they have this helpline for other women there. It's it's like well, they're almost acknowledging that, that this is the culture. Yeah. And I think this is this is a terrible thing for for other companies oh. because now it's saying if you have. Anybody who makes a peep about sexual harassment, we're going to have to you know, investigate all of these claims. And I, I think it's it's a slippery slope. And because these were unsubstantiated, I think they it's were unsubstantiated. Well, but yeah, there was big settlements. I mean, the one the one producer got, got one producer got nine million, and a couple sure. of uh, yeah. And there were five women that were involved in the settlement, and there were a lot but more. But you always have that. Susie, I mean, they knew about they knew about all these bullying. What? They knew about all these, and they still they sign him to a multi-year contract it wasn't going to go away jeff that's just the thing well did they think when they signed him to a contract it wasn't going to come out okay even even those that are used to you know engaging in protests to throw out different people they said this turned around really really fast and it's Mm -hmm. because there's there have been you know cases of this and and they're ramping up because the social media world is so strong and and because because organizers emboldened. emboldened and because you can't have employment where places of employment where there's bullying and there's harassment, whether whether or not it's it's confirmed. There was something going on at Fox, and enough people spoke, and it wasn't going to go away. They had to do something. And the new leadership, though. Well, it's not. I mean, right. Roger Ailes. I mean, that I think. Right. Uh, Rupert Murdoch is kind of stepping back, and his kids are now running and that. They're, and they're softer, and they're, they're, they're right. maybe they're more enlightened, or you know, well, they imagine don't, that. You know, I guess I just what I, what I find to be interesting about all this is that you're right the advertisers at least short term were were abandoning O'Reilly in droves Um, not necessarily abandoning Fox they were moving their ads to different things Um, but but the viewers weren't I guess Mm -hmm. I wonder if if they had made another decision if they had stuck with him I think I think maybe I'm wrong. I think the viewers would. I don't think the, I think he would still be drawing yeah. the numbers. And they'll follow him wherever and he goes. Would there be other advertisers? Where will that he came go? Forward? That's yeah. just, what, he's not going to have the same well, platform. Well, you know, he's what close to seventy. I'm mm-hmm. guessing he's going to go on the speaking circuit, write a few more books. You know, I don't. Well, think and he's walking away with ten. He's, he's walking away with twenty some million fine. dollars. Right. What happens if he apologizes though? What if he says, you know? Maybe maybe there's some truth. To, I mean, what happens to his brand? And maybe, maybe I don't think they will apologize. I, I think he's gonna he's gonna have his followers. He's gonna make right. a lot of money. You know, I don't think he'll run for political right. office because yeah. he yeah. he wouldn't be able. Yeah, to Do you think this vote. hurts his brand? The O'Reilly I think brand it em- emboldens his brand. If you yeah. know about but, his brand. But but when you em- embolden, I mean, I'm I I really like Bill O'Reilly. It is an event in my house. I think he's a fantastic wow. journalist. Okay. And you, the Muslims were responsible for 9/11. That, I'm not saying Ooh. I agree with. Well, he said that. I'm not saying I agree <laughs> with everything he says. I like his style of journalism, and I think he is is an interesting and res- respected journalist that did a lot for the brand. And I I, I like. Well, his he was respected by perspective group of followers. Well, I'm not saying I agree with everything he says, and that's a good thing okay. because so now we're we have these a, a year from now. Where where is Fox News in the rating? Like I say, Bill O'Reilly. Four million viewers a night, by far and away the most watched cable show. Um, where is they've lost him now? They've lost Megan Kelly. 
Greta, didn't Greta Van Well, they've lost Greta. Does, does oh, Fox Sarah News, Palin. Let's not forget does, about does her. Does Fox She's News gone. continue to dominate? I think, yeah. I think stars like no. Sean Hannity. I think t- I mean, oh, Tucker Carlson isn't... But there are there are up and coming journalists that we haven't seen yet that will be discovered. You know, he's gone. He is old school. Yeah, but gonna, if they go too mainstream, they are dead. They are dead. They're in not the going to go mainstream. They're going to stay conservative. I hope so. And it's the same followers. Jeff, you know what? You're a conservative radio guy. I like you. You know what? You're not harassing people in the workplace. I salute I'm not. you for. You know, <laughs> it's you never know, occurred and, to me to and, harass and people are, in the workplace. And yes. You have followers, and you're going to continue to attract followers. There are very thoughtful, conservative talk show hosts out there, and they will find them, and they're going to you know, they're going to capitalize what you're saying on is their Bill brand. Bill O'Reilly was a pig, and he deserves to get what he got. Bill O'Reilly <laughs> was a pig. He was old school. Was, there's no there's was. no room for that in the workplace. Yeah, it's I, I, I just it's going to be interesting to me to see how this entire thing plays out um but short term i think fox is going to take a ratings hit now maybe they're short doing they're sure. short term right uh, it'll be curious yeah, to see where they are a year from now okay we got a lot of stuff coming up on today's program um, as long as we're talking about commentators and coulter who is in the middle of a big spat a strip club in downtown milwaukee and the guest worker program stick around it's 11:43. it's the week in review jeff wagner Susie falk tracy johnson 620 wtmj Eleven forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. The today, the weekend review. Susie Falk, Tracy Johnson. Okay, uh, Ann Coulter, another right-wing commentator, and I, I think she's kind of nutty <laughs> on some things. She's sort of yeah. out there. Um, she gets invited by the College Republicans to speak at University of California, Berkeley. Um, Berkeley, home of the free speech movement, says says no. Um, you 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 can't come. We are concerned that there'll be too many protesters. That there'll be violence. Um, ultimately, they say, well, well, we'll let you come, but not on the date that you had scheduled. We're going to do it. Uh, you can come on a day when students aren't in class, and you have to give your speech in the middle of the afternoon because otherwise people are going to come protest. Coulter says, no, I've I got a contract. I'm showing up. Tracy Johnson, um, should Berkeley have gotten involved in this, the, the college? Well, I mean, let's talk about PR nightmare. I think that somebody did not think this through. I mean, it's Ann Coulter. She has got a bully pulpit. I mean, the size of the size of a state. I mean, and, and if she gets ticked off, you have definitely <laughs> poked the 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 bear. And so, um, I think she is in her right to say, "I'm coming April 27th." Um, I think what the the campus has a responsibility to do is to say, "Listen, little snowflakes, if you guys cause a ruckus and if you start fires." You are expelled. You are done. And you're arrested. And you're arrested. Yeah. And, and I think what they've done is set a precedent that, you know, you can throw rocks and you can exercise your right of free speech and, you know, throw rocks and start fires and they, they don't do anything. Well, right. just, it's one thing down. to protest. It's another thing to then, then cross that line. Susie Falk. Yeah, well, you know, Berkeley did not handle this well at all. What they should have done is realized Wednesday when they were hearing about these threats that for violence and protesting and all that, they should have sat with the Republicans on campus to say, hey, folks, we have an issue here. This is what we're hearing. It's going to get out of control. They, Berkeley's had some issues, let's face it, the past few months. With so when they had the guy from Breitbart that showed up, too. But you only have it when conservative speakers. Well, right, right. No, no, no. I, and Berkeley needs to understand that they need to invite all voices. Right. I don't know who you know, run the show over there, but whatever. They, they, what they should have done was spoke to the, the college Republicans and then brought in Ms. Coulter and, and, and said, okay, look, at, we do have this issue. Can we all work together? We want to have you in. We want you to speak, but we also don't want things to get out of control. I mean, Berkeley has a huge life. Safety is a huge concern of theirs. Yeah. They've got students and their safety and their families and prospects. Well, but I guess but my concern is, and again, I don't, I don't care about Ann Coulter one yeah. way or the other, other than that this strikes me giving into the mob, that you have 
you know, yeah, okay, it's, it's like the bad mistake. Well, and being anti and being anti-conservative yeah. and and just catering to these, you know, when anybody's ticked off, we're just gonna we're just gonna go whatever direction they want. And I think w- you've seen a pattern with them of standing up against conservative speakers. And I think all that's gonna do is embolden the people who support that okay. way of thinking. Okay, topic number three. Mm-hmm. Ongoing controversy downtown Milwaukee for a number of years. Uh, the owners of Silk Exotic, which is the we'll call it a, the gentleman's club, the strip club that's out on Highway 100 in Silver Spring, have been wanting to open a downtown location. The Common Council keeps saying no, 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 no. Um, there's already been one lawsuit that's costing the taxpayers over a million dollars. So earlier this week, the Common Council had supposedly reached this agreement where they're going to let the owners open up a strip club on 3rd Street, essentially in the shadow of the convention center. Now the Common Council appears to be backing off on that. Okay, Susie Falk, is that an inappropriate spot for a, for a club like well, that? I do think so. I, I, I understand that strip clubs serve a purpose. That I'm still trying to figure out what it is. But <laughs> Okay, and, and I do understand that they can help generate business and people will come to them. I think, though, that you know, enough voices need to be heard in this. The business community is seriously concerned that they don't, they don't want you know, necessarily that type of person hanging out or having any loiters or anything else. There are cities that have done, I, I think, an appropriate thing, and that is to create, you know, areas where where it's sort of like the entertainment district, and where would you put that in Milwaukee? Well, I'm not the, sure, you know. Because you do have a, a, I have not been in this place for 30 years, but you do have, and I, I suspect it probably hasn't changed any, I mean, just, just a couple <laughs> blocks up, on you've, uh-huh. you've got Arts Performing Center on, on Juno. Yeah, which, which is, okay. um, I, I mean, so I'm just, I guess I'm kind of wondering, you've already got one downtown. Okay. Tracy, what do you think? I know you're very much involved in downtown development. Yeah, well, and, and truthfully, we, we've been asked to kind of weigh in on this as an organization, as about this specific location. Right. Uh, just because there are so many up-and-coming buildings around that area, and the, and the Grand Avenue Mall being one of them. And I think the, the investor and the owner made some very compelling arguments that made, the city council kind of back off on this, which was, you know, I've made this investment mm-hmm. to try to turn around this neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You guys need to not be just reactionary on this. You need to get involved in this because this this is an issue and it can be an opportunity. Should we have a strip club in downtown Milwaukee? I think the answer is, well, yeah, I think we should try to figure out a way. Otherwise, we're going to be fighting off these lawsuits because well, you're, they're be not losing. illegal. Right, right. You're going to be losing the lawsuits. I guess I, I again, I'm not going to be patronizing one of these places, but I guess I... But they're not for residents. They're well, for no, right. They're visitors. for the... Right. That's it. It's, it's for, like, the, the people who are attending the conventions and I, I think you could go to most major cities and you would find... Places like yeah. this, you know, and you there. don't even really know where they well, are. Well, they're very discreet. I think I, if they're done the right way, right, I, I guess I'm thinking that right. This notion, I mean, candidly, I'd rather have a high-end strip club that you know than than like a hip-hop club, for example, yep. that where you know you've had some. Well, you're looking at me, Susan, but no, <laughs> they've had problems with the, like the hip-hop clubs <laughs> and stuff. And and I think that the city has every right to say, look, we we want to make sure we're going to be cracking. We want to make sure there's not drug dealing, there's mm-hmm. not prostitution. We don't want people who are loitering outside right. this. But you. 
I think you would apply that to any bar yeah. that would be there. Be proactive about this. Here's, right. That's the problem is right. they're, they're reacting. They need to come yeah. to the table with a solution, and I think they're close. I think they, they, they're close, and I think they're going to figure it out, whether it's north of the Park East, whether it's closer to the arena, whether it, I, and I'm not advocating for any of, of those locations specifically, mm-hmm. but they need to come up with a solution, mm-hmm. and they've got the right people at the table. So it's, I'm also, I did think it was kind of interesting that Grand Avenue, which has kind of been a wasteland for years and years, is saying the strip club's going to going to hurt us. Well, but no, but but I, but the investors, which are new investors, they have they they well, took a, a leap of faith here, and they didn't do it with a lot of city involvement right. and, and investment necessarily. They have an opportunity. They've got some great ideas, and well, they and, can't and, have it screwed and, up. And we will well, we we will see if if that leap of faith is just like heading over the cliff, like Thelma and Louise. Aww. We'll see. Coming up next, um, our Right Stuff Awards. Stick around. It's eleven fifty four. Jeff Wagner, Susie Falk, and Tracy Johnson. Eleven fifty six. Jeff Wagner, Right Stuff. Susie Falk. Schweitzer. You may not know about her, but just this past week she ran in the Boston Marathon at age 70. Um, and actually she had her best time in 46 years. What is so cool about Catherine and why she's my Right Stuff Award winner is that it was 50 years ago this week that she ran as the first woman in the Boston Marathon and organizers of the run tried to pull her off uh, the race because she was female and at the time women just didn't run in such races because things would happen, they'd grow facial hair or their their female parts would fall out. I mean, it's horrible. So anyways, fast forward, she is literally paving the way for women in, in not just running fields but, but in all fields. Tracy Johnson. Alright, my Right Stuff Award goes to Attorney General Brad Schimmel, who I saw at uh, your fabulous uh, Insight 2017. Um, I think He's an, just an outstanding ambassador for Wisconsin and has so articulately used his platform um, to help our state uh, beat and get ahead of this conversation on op- opioid abuse. Um, he talked particularly about a drug buyback day, which is coming up on April or Give Back Day on April 29th. It's where you can bring all of your medications uh, from your home, get them out of your home, take them to locations. He's got a uh, website called doseofrealitywi.gov where you can see those locations. Uh, He is just really trying to, to beat this and save the lives of so many people in our state. Yeah, if you didn't hear it, we have up on our podcast page, we do have the interviews we did with Brad Schimmel where he talks about all this. Um, that's a very good choice. Um, my Right Stuff Award winner, it, it's Milwaukee, County, Milwaukee City Alderman Bob Donovan. Um, crime is out of control in the city, and too often it's like the emperor has no clothes. People are just pretending and pretending and pretending. Donovan, on a couple issues, whether it's police pursuit this week or also the need to toughen penalties for juvenile crime, he is speaking truth to power, and he deserves credit for that. Ladies, it was a pleasure. We will see you again soon. It's 11.59. Stick around. Scafidi and Bill's that coming up. Thanks for watching on Facebook Live.